This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing human beings, Kirshen Borski. Hey. And Tia Vasiliu. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I am super excited that you're both here. I'm back. We're back. The show's back. We don't have crazy hillbillies cutting down power lines. <laughs> I almost didn't have internet, but we are here recording. I'm super duper pumped. We're we're back. It's 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 com- it's 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 time for comic books. Always. Let me just stumble over all of my words in trying to be really hyped about this show. Um, <laughs> Your excitement is shining through like a, the sun on this rainy day. <laughs> but let me ask the question that I ask every single week: How have you been? How have comics been, Kara? My goodness. So, comics for me this week are really more about comic tangential media and by comic tangential media i mean riverdale season wrapped and i don't know what to do with myself until (laughs) it starts up again yes yes it was like the season finale was like kind of all over the place but the penultimate episode before that was so good it was like everything i've ever wanted in a dramatic cw television show encapsulated (laughs) into one glorious episode that just happened to be based upon characters that i've read way too many stories about growing up so right right it's, it's been a good time maybe this summer i'll go back into my archie comics archives and just reread all the double digests my parents got me when I was a kid. That might happen. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, so I take it you've been loving Riverdale then? That's so what I'm getting off much. of this. Okay. Yeah, okay. I've been blogging about it. Like I have too many emotions yes. about it, and um, I keep getting so much joy out of all the little like comic book references that they have, and some of them are really subtle. So, for example, in the second to last episode of the season there's this moment at the beginning of the episode where Jughead is like I'm gonna leave town everything is the worst so you see him at the Riverdale bus depot and for like a second on screen you see a bus that's bound for Mamaroneck and it's like only if only if you're like looking for it you'll see it and Mamaroneck, New York is the location of the Archie offices, like for decades. Like in this last year or two, they moved to Pelham. But mm-hmm. before then, they were in Mamaroneck, New York. So, because I'm a nerd, I knew that. And I, when I saw the right. bus, I was like, well played, Riverdale, well played. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I know. I saw it. I was like, what? No, they didn't. But they did. <laughs> so, what have you been reading lately? Uh, has it just been nothing but just the the Riverdale comic series and your back backlog of hundreds of Archie comics then? Okay, so I have this hardcover for Archie's Madhouse, which is a series that ran in the 60s. And it was like some Archie comics and just some weird stuff that mm-hmm. they were creating over at Archie at the time. And in that is the story that introduces Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And when Sabrina was introduced in Madhouse, she wasn't the 90s version of Sabrina that many of us who were growing up and seeing Melissa Joan Hart are aware of. Sabrina, when she was first introduced, was a witch with a capital W. She was very sexy, 
very mischievous, very much into just messing around with other people's lives just because she could and she had the power to do so. So kind of a far cry from the morally principled, cute blonde that we know from later decades when she began, she was very much like, like she was drawn very curvy. She was like, had like heavy lidded, like Marilyn Monroe eyes. And she was just there to mess things up for people and like wrap men around her finger. So interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that's a bit, a bit different than the Sabrina that I think of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. It's nice to like dive in and see where the characters really have come from. Yeah, that sounds great. Is that like a pretty thick, big omnibus then? Um, yeah, it's it's like maybe maybe an inch thick, and there's just all this crazy stuff because the '60s were, you know, it, across the board in American comics, kind of trippy. And oh, totally. Archie was like extra trippy at the time. So <laughs> just like seeing some of the things that their artists dreamt up during that decade is a treat. That's fantastic. What's the what's the actual title of the book then? Um, I think it's just Archie's Madhouse, and it's this. Okay, okay. This cover. Oh right, because you said it was an anthology of of different things. Sorry, I thought there was like one solitary book you were reading. Anyways, ignore me. I'm my mind is all over the place. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. And yeah, like I said, there's like some stuff with, um, like the regular characters. Like I just, I just googled Archie's Madhouse for kicks, and the first mm-hmm. result is. Archie looking super cheerful and peppy and Frankenstein's monster, the mummy and Dracula are all running away from him in fear. <laughs> like <laughs> there's, what? there's some stuff in here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And like, ev- like every other cover has aliens on it. There's like aliens, monsters, Archies and stuff. There's one where a two headed man is getting a barber shop haircut. Jughead's talking to Archie, but Archie's a monkey. Archie lose like literally loses his head while Reggie's talking to Veronica. There's two Archies and Betty and Veronica each get one. I'm saying the 60s were great. That's that is insanity. Oh my goodness. Archie's madhouse. Okay, that truly sounds like a madhouse. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. What about you, Tia? How have you been? How have comic books been? All that jazz. Oh, all that jazz. Yeah, it's a weirdly um, very Marvel week for me. I mean, I don't know. I guess I do read a lot of Marvel, but there's usually some image thrown in there too. And mm-hmm. this this week, it just kind of, I don't know. And I'm trying to be like mad at Marvel. So this is really not helping that. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> like, could I be mad at Marvel, but also support the books that have the thing like... How could I reward what I think they're doing right and punish them for the things that they're being shitty about? Absolutely. I this know. is this is the big the conundrum with the big two, I think. Yeah, it's I don't know. I don't know what to do. So I don't know. Like, for example, I love Al Ewing. I think he's a great writer. I think he's a great human being. And I want to support the work that he does. Uh, he is writing the new Rocket book. Number one just came out this week and it has art by Adam Gorham, and it was really great. It's sort of like Ocean's Eleven, but starring Rocket. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's like a fun heist book. He wears this, like, really cute little stylish suit. Oh. I know. It's really adorable. And, I, you know, I maintain that Rocket is kind of really the heart of the Guardians movies, which is sad that 
a CGI character has more personality than the actual human characters, but whatever, <laughs> that's another podcast, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, if you have a lot of rocket feelings, you know, the previous rocket, was that still Scotty Young, the one they just ended? Was that still the Scotty Young rocket or was had someone else already taken that over i believe that was still scotty young all right i mean that one's great i haven't i I read the first trade of that one (laughs) listeners correct us if we're wrong yeah i'm sure i send all of your angry emails uh so i yeah so i've read chasing tail which is hilarious and it's about rocket and he has like all these ex-girlfriends and Mm -hmm. so there's another ex-girlfriend who is in this new rocket and she needs his help and you know things happen not according to plan, but Rocket, you know, he'll handle it. It's fine. And then there's a lot of backstory that we're going to get. And so, yeah, Al Ewing, I love him on Rocket. It's like a good mix, I think, because Al Ewing's kind of got a funny sense of humor. Like funny meaning like he's he like he does really well with odd concepts like Rocket. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I also read America number three which is Gabby Rivera writing and Joe Canone is on art and it continues to be, you know, everything everyone's been asking for in an America book. She is punching holes into other dimensions like you want, but you know, <laughs> the coolest, coolest like, power ever. That's what she does. <laughs> but she's also starting to get a little rounded out, you know, with like the feelings side of her. I think that it's really important that, We have strong characters, strong woman characters, strong uh, women of color characters. But I hate when the stereotype of of strong always translates to punching things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's really nice to see, you know, that she is a strong character. She's a strong woman of color. She punches things. But then there's also this feelings side of her, like, you know, with her, her girlfriend and her, you know, thinking about her family and kind of where she, where she fits in the world. She's hanging out with the X-Men in number three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she has like kind of a, a great moment with Storm. It's good. I like, I like that. I, I, I could see Storm being a good kind of role model in America's life. So Storm is a great role model for like anyone it's in true. anyone's life. Really. It's true. She's, Oh, she's the best. With the America book, do they start out talking about her backstory? Because I have a really tenuous grip on like where she came from. I just know that she was in Young Avengers and she was awesome, but I didn't really quite understand why she was where she was. You mean in terms of like where like where she's born and and what dimension she's from or like in the story or in the like the world of Marvel who invented her. Uh, both. Well, sorry to say that in the world of Marvel, the person who invented her sounds like kind of not my favorite person. And uh, there, I, he was quoted, I think, a couple of years ago talking about how it's really important that we all understand that America doesn't wear underwear. Oh, boy. That's, yeah, like somehow that's important. Uh, so really happy that she is being written by other people Mm -hmm. who give other consideration to her as a character beyond her underwear. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, she comes from a utopian dimension, like where her with two moms and they made some kind of sacrifice. Uh, It is hazy and this does kind of touch on it. And part of what is, 
part of what's driving her here is just kind of understanding where she came from. So I think that will probably be more fleshed out as things go along. But it's also, she's also dealing with her relationships and her sort of a chosen family, right? Like Prodigy, is, it goes to her university and they hang out a little bit. So, you know, oh, it's prodigies in that book. Oh man. I know. Oh my goodness. I I what am I doing not buying that book? Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is, sounds like everything that I want in a Marvel book. Listen, <laughs> if you it's cuz you're X trash, but the X-Men are in this book, so you can buy it and still be X trash. <laughs> wait. <laughs> using using that segue uh, cuz this is a question I also have. Um I got the sense that like even a couple years ago, like the X-Men were happening and they had their books, but Marvel was kind of keeping them on the DL. And then in the last couple of years, it's like X-Men everywhere doing everything in every book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know what? We'll talk about that in a little bit where I go on to why I'm called X trash this week. (laughs) Yes. So, um, I will, I will definitely address that point. Yay. We can't we can't finish this segment without talking about Screaming Citadel because I'll exactly. just scream until someone <laughs> shuts up and lets me talk about Screaming Citadel. <laughs> yes. What are your thoughts on Screaming Citadel, Tia? Yes, please. It is, Hurry, it is tell very us. aptly named, basically. Mm-hmm. So the correct order of, of having feelings about Screaming Citadel is to read it and then lie on the ground and scream real loud until you feel like all of your feelings have been released. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, Dr. Afra has this thing, this artifact where it, uh, a Jedi, an ancient Jedi's consciousness has been preserved and she wants to unlock it. And so she's like, hey, you know who else would really be interested in this farm boy Luke Skywalker who has like his all of his Jedi you know stuff but no training and no one will train him so like let's team up and unlock this artifact and being the sweet gullible baby that he is he's like yes good let's do it and he does swamp rats in his T-16 (laughs) so they go off um on this adventure there's a there's a queen who could unlock it and she does favors once a year in exchange for like basically amusing her and so Afra's like i'm gonna dress up luke like prince cosplaying space mr darcy and that will surely entertain this queen and then mm-hmm. she'll do, she'll do us a solid and and tia was that queen and she said yes <laughs> so true. no the, the queen is literally just like goth angela oh good awesome. i love it awesome. so yeah um mario Chichetto is the artist on this book and it's spectacular i heard he's also doing a, the captain phasma mini so yay so excited about that he is hyperventilating over there people it's so good um look all i need from this book is for afro to rock luke's world and i was you know fully expecting just expecting it to happen in like all in good fun but now i think there will be feelings oh At so the, is at is this like an least, ongoing book? It's or a mini it, crossover okay, okay. with with Star Wars and Doctor Afra. So Kieran Gillen and Jason Aaron are are at the helm writing wise. And uh, yeah, you know, I just for all of you out there who ship Afra with Darth Vader and need Jesus, this could be 
a suitable alternative for your shipping Skywalker shipping needs. <laughs> Can wait? I thought of one more thing that I wanted to say. So this this past week was Mother's Week because I know it's like Mother's Day, but I literally did something with my mom every other day because I live close enough where I could do that, and it was just yeah. like the week of mom. So we went to see Guardians of the Galaxy two. And at the beginning, when they're doing all the trailers for all the other numerous superhero properties, because we live in the golden age of superhero movies, um, at least so far, they had the trailer for Thor Ragnarok. And my mother is not a nerd. Like, she has encouraged my nerddom because when I was growing up, she was like, oh, Oh, you want to read comics? I want you to read. Therefore, I will buy you comics so you'll continue to read. And okay, so your mom is is pretty fantastic, is what you're saying? Yeah, my mom my mom is cool, but she's not like a nerd. And if I like go sure. on a comic book rant, she just kind of like nods and smiles and is like, "Oh, well, I'm ho- so happy you found something that you love, dear." But we saw the trailer for Thor Ragnarok. And mm-hmm. she was like laughing the entire time. And when the Hulk comes out at the end, she just turns to me and she was like, oh, I want to see that. And I was like, mother, <laughs> like you're the most comic book looking trailer that they've ever done. And like, this is the one that you're interested in. Like, OK. But I thought of that because you mentioned Angela, which made me think of Hela. And I was like, right. OK, Ragnarok, yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. here. This is so Asgardian. It hurts. Like, let's go. And now that I know that my mom wants to go, I'm going to be like, Friday night that it opens. We're going to be there with all the nerds and it's going to be a thing. Hey everyone, let's watch the movie franchise where they fridged the best mom in the franchise. Oh, I know. True, true. I know. Don't bring me down. I'm so excited that there's something I can share with my mom about this. I'm sorry. I mean, if it helps, I think that comics Frigga is way better, at least in Angela. That's fair. Because Angela tried to get all like you know, I'm not like those other girls. And she's like, bitch, please. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I digress. That's all, right. all right, Mike, tell us about your X trash. Okay. So it wasn't all X trash this week. I did read a handful of books and I'm very proud of myself. I was all over the place with the books that I was reading. I've been in the process of moving and without internet for a while. So I had like only a small selection of books that I could pick from because why pick up you know all the physical books that I have actually no a lot of those were packed away um, but nonetheless I did sit down I read The Night Driver which is a book by Ke- by Ken Lowry and Gavin Goodry which is a comicsology submit book kind of a weird one shot of just suspense and just it makes me think just that that movie cinematic the heartbeat in the background of everything the whole comic kind of feels like that it's got this really interesting pace it's about a guy driving down a road and some bad things happen and there's a really beautiful use of color throughout the book. If you're looking for a quick little one shot that just kind of puts you on edge for 22 pages, uh, I highly recommend this. The Night Driver, it's amazing. Uh, I also read Black Bolt number one and- all So right. good. So let's, let's, let's make a couple things clear here. I do not care for the Inhumans and I've been screaming about it for the last like eight months. The Inhumans are Marvel trying to push a new era of X-Men on people, and no one wants it. They just want X-Men. But as much as I don't want to read any other uh, Inhuman books, I will read a Black Bolt book because, one, I've loved the character since I started reading comic books, and, two, Christian Ward is on art in this book. 
And <laughs> I don't really need to say anything else. And and the writer, Saladin Ahmed, like he, I don't know what he's done, but I want to read everything. I think because, that he's a well, prose writer. Yeah, he, he said, I mean, I looked him up on Wikipedia and I've never seen any of his stuff before. He writes prose and poetry and he does a lot of sci-fi apparently. This book is like peak sci-fi pulpy. Like this is Ooh. hitting some some spots that I didn't realize needed like scratching because it's like this book and the new XO book are just these perfect, really old style feeling 50s era sci-fi books where there's just really beautiful art. Everything just feels humongous and like there's so much space. You don't know a lot of things. There's a lot of questions about the world, but you know these characters really, really well. So you're getting these introspection. You're getting this introspection on Black Bolt in this unknown universe. You don't know where he came from. You don't really know how he got here, but you know that he has a purpose. He's trying to get out. He's trying to get back to Earth. And to me, that's like super classic sci-fi. Like I'm just a human trying to get back to Earth and... What happens in the first issue is so cool. Everything about this book is amazing. I'm super duper on board. I, and I knew it. Like, just seeing the cover for Black Bolt number one, I knew I was going to be into this book. And it's, then the story was kick-ass. It it's so gorgeous. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you have up um, the credits, but I was really impressed by the lettering also, which, you know, oh, yeah. when, when you've got Christian Ward art, it's kind of hard to pay attention to any other visuals, but the lettering really stood out for me. Yeah, I don't know who the letter was off the top of my head, but yeah, they even for a Marvel book, it was actually really good because Marvel does have a house style for a lot of those things, and it's really hard to deviate, deviate away from that, but there was a lot of kick-ass stuff they did with out of out of text box bubbles that was, or excuse me, out of text box like wording and lettering throughout the page in specific moments in the issue is very, very well done. But outside of Black Bolt, I also read Outcast number 27, which all I'm going to ask is, is this book turned into some kind of manga? Because basically the story has turned into, I found my dad, now I got to power up. What? And they, yeah, so Outcast somehow turned into this I don't want to spoil too much of this book, but Outcast turned into this battle of good versus evil, which we kind of knew from the get-go, but I thought it was like blessed child versus demons, and now it's something totally different. Outcast and is Kirkman, not a, right? It's like this, yeah, Outcast is Robert Kirkman okay. uh, with Paul Azetta, or Paul Azteca, and uh, Betty Brightweiser on colors, so like it's fucking top-notch coloring in this book. She is amazing. But the story itself turned into this weird thing in the last two or three issues. Like the newest, latest arc has just been a like I'm just constantly like putting my hands to my head, going, "What is? What is this? This is not. <laughs> this is not the book I signed up for." But I, I'm not mad about that. He got like 27 issues in before I went, "Oh, this is where you're going with it." And so I feel like happy that i'm really surprised about where it's going but it's also it also feels like a manga book like i've been reading a lot of manga so maybe that's why but he opened up the possibility of like well let's do this book for another 200 issues basically with what happened in issue 27 so if you're not reading outcast you know there's going to be a zillion of these issues <laughs> i could say that um i also read another comicsology submit book uh by natasha van gestel called Dij called Jin <laughs> Dijin it's <laughs> spelled D J I N N and the premise is a boy stumbles upon a jinn among desert ruins and it's a really short book the uh 
you know, artist. She's also artist writer. Um, she opens the book saying, "I wanted to experiment with things in the Middle East. I wanted to play with some folklore that I was really interested in. I hope you enjoyed this book." And I dove into it, and it's it's like it totally screws with your head. It's it's one of those depressing like I got everything I wanted in my life, and yet I made a deal with an entity that's going to backfire on me. It's kind of like that, and I won't go into like the details of it, but it's kind of. It's a really depressing book, but very, very well put together, well paced. Um, so if you, again, this is another just one shot little story. If you want something really quick to read, I would recommend Jin by Natasha Van Gestel. It's really, really good. Um, but the last thing I read was Jean Grey number one. I'm not going to say anything else other than I'm reading another X-Men book and I'm sorry because I'm an X-Men <laughs> trash child. <laughs> and, you know, I can, and I can go into this because I... My pick of the week is also an X-Men book. But uh, so what I was saying before, Kara, you asked the question, you know, where did the X-Men go and why are they all of a sudden everywhere? I think what happened was Marvel was trying to, like, basically put the X-Men on a back back burner and say, oh, no, no, they're not important. We don't have the rights to these movies or TV shows anymore. So we're just not going to push them anymore in our comics. And what ended up happening is you got people like me who are screaming on the internet saying, this is stupid. All these X-Men books that you do have, they're only mediocre and you're not really doing enough with these characters that we will gladly pay a lot of money to read for. Um, And so I think what happened was Marvel did this whole Inhumans versus X-Men thing, realized that everyone, people like me, personally, probably just me, um, were saying, yes, I, I'm glad that you're doing X-Men correctly this way. Just get the Inhumans out of my X-Men book. And so in response, Marvel said, all right, we'll launch 14 X-Men books. Whoa. Like 14 X-Men books. And the the main five or six are Jean Grey, Iceman, uh, X-Men Gold, X-Men Blue, Generation X, Weapon X. Those are like the six books that are going on that are kind of the big ones. Cable is coming. Astonishing X-Men is coming. Um, Old Man Logan is running. All New Wolverine is running. Those So those two books um, didn't get renumbered. They didn't start with fresh number ones. But there's And then there's a few more that I can't remember off the top of my head. And I am a piece of trash human being, and I'm reading all of them. <laughs> what? So... Uh, <laughs> Can you tell me, please, what the appeal of Jean Grey is? Because in my mind, she's it's like Jean Grey over at Marvel and Donna Troy over at DC. I feel like they both just want me to like those two women so much. And sure. as a consequence, I detest both of them for no good reason. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what? Like, every I just get irrationally mad. Like, whenever I see Marvel pushing Jean Grey, I'm like, oh, my God, who cares? And I have a lot of unfounded anger about it. So what's the appeal? You're you're totally right about that, right? So Marvel, for the longest time, Jean Grey was there, was there... Mary Sue for a lot of in a lot of ways right she was just this kind of side character that they threw in and she was always helpless and she was always you know she didn't know anything and she was always the person that was screwing up and they're like oh Jean get it together she's like okay I just love you Cyclops and that was her character and that sucked so in the you know they did the Dark Phoenix thing where they're like all right we're gonna give her all the powers imaginable because Chris Claremont loves this character and she became this big thing and then she died because the Phoenix dies and always rises so she dies, she comes back, Scott Summers is all screwed up, and the story becomes about Scott. It's like things that happen to Jean Grey, the character that they you think they want you to love, actually the story becomes about Scott Summers, and that's stupid. Blah. So 
she shows up again. She dies. She comes back again. Um, Grant Morrison takes over, gives her a whole new personality, and at the end, she she dies as a consequence of basically saying, "I'm not going to let this happen to my friends and destroy the Earth anymore. I'm going to die." So she dies, and she's been dead since you know mid 2000s. And so when the when Marvel did their big <laughs> Battle of the Atom thing. They brought the original five X-Men from the past into the present. And now that's all stupid because it's comic books. But it what it's led to is it's led to those five characters changing and evolving and no longer being their campy 60s selves. Instead, they are... You know, they become different people. Like Bobby, uh, Bobby Drake has come out to everyone. He's gay, and Beast is no longer like the hardcore scientist that can believe in his own mind. He has to rely on other things such as magic. So he's he's evolving as a character and changing. Scott Summers is coming to the coming to terms with the pro with the the fact that he has a lot of daddy issues, and so mm. we got a really solid Cyclops story that we're gonna I'm gonna talk about later. Um, that came out from Greg Rucka, uh, and then Jean Grey has said, you know, you all of you four guys you're idiots i'm going to lead this team um so now she's leading the the young quote-unquote young original x-men and so she she's the team leader and she's grown i think as an individual she realizes that there is this other gene that she could become and she's refusing to become that care or that person and so this book Jean gray is all about her saying i need to get away from these four stinking teenagers i'm you know these four stinking teenage boys i'm going to go to japan with my little pet Bamf and eat some ramen and then oh no you know somebody's robbing a bank I'm gonna you know stop them and it's her just dealing with this new responsibility dealing with living in the present and you're basically just getting her perspective um, on things and Dennis Hopeless has been writing it I, I really like the first issue Victor Ibanez um, pretty solid art all throughout but yeah that's that's how the X-Men now they're here because people wanted them that's ultimately where we're at <laughs> Okay, well, that at least sounds like a somewhat interesting direction for them to be going in with Jean Grey besides, here's the girl like her. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that Marvel is trying, or the X-Men group of people are trying to, to fix that. Like, they're they're fixing that with someone like Magic, who is, is a totally different character. And, like, a lot of other, like, Kitty Pride is also the leader of the X-Men, but she's always kind of been fantastic. That's the, actually the X-Men character that you should like. And I don't know why Marvel doesn't push that. I mean, she's amazing. She's a dragon for a pet. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, anyways. Whatever happened with Kitty and Star-Lord, I, I was really invested in their breakup and then kind of lost interest. Well, I think they broke up or they were married and then they got divorced or something. Um, and then she came was, back. She she was Star-Lord for a little while and then he got mad. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I See, that I, when she dating, went to space, I didn't yeah. follow it. I, don't yeah, know. I knew that they were dating. I knew that she was Star-Lord for a while, and I thought that was awesome, but I wasn't super following what was happening to the Guardians at that time, so yeah, that's like the extent yeah. of my knowledge. <clears throat> I know she came back, and then she kind of started dating Bobby Drake for a little bit, and like adult Bobby Drake, not young from the <laughs> 60s Bobby Drake. Right. Um, she started dating Bobby Drake, and then they broke up, and then the <laughs> AVX thing happened and all the like five X-Men got the Phoenix powers and Colossus was like, God deal, you must love me. And she's like, that's not that how was this amazing. works, Peter. <laughs> Last week on Keeping Up with the X-Men. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, I mean, let me, I, the, the last 10 years worth of X-Men is like all buried in my brain. Um, if not more. But anyways, comic books, we'll move on because yeah, we, yeah. we do need to move on eventually. <laughs> 
I could go out. See, we have whole X Men minisodes for this. I, I promise you. <laughs> I'm an X Trash baby. Um, comic books come out on May 17th, 2017. What are you both reading this week? What are you excited for this week? Well, let's start with Tia. All right. Well, I wouldn't be Tia if I didn't mention that The Wicked and the Divine 455 AD is coming out. This is the <sighs> second special. It's going to be so good. It's going to be insane. Yeah. <laughs> because it is it takes place at the the sack of Rome basically and so we have Lucifer who is causing problems and I I we just ended a really insane arc in the main storyline and just like I don't know I'm so excited by this I'm looking at the cover right now and with like you know Rome burning in the background and oh, I'm just so excited the art is by Andre Lima Arujo, uh, I think is how you say his name. Arujo. Uh, he's really amazing. And um, yeah, I'm super, super excited about this just because, you know, it's it's something really different than, than we've seen in Wiktiv. And so I know that these are specials are like out of the main storyline, but I think that in the in the first one in the in the 1831 special there were a lot of little easter eggs that were really oh, yeah. you know important yeah, for yeah, yeah. figuring stuff out it's like can't wait to see what's in this one anyway that's happening heathen number four is coming out from natasha alterisi and um i believe this is this is the end of the first arc right so yeah uh brunhild and sigurd are trying to rescue adis from the goddess of love which doesn't seem like a big problem to me, but okay. Mm. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm just so excited to see everyone loving this book as much as I know that the three of us have. Yeah, if you're not reading Heathen, do yourself a favor. Go pick those books up. Like, ugh, it's one of the best. It's so good. One of the it's best, like, like, independent books I've read in a very, like, truly independent books that I've read in a very long time. It's just so satisfying, especially especially if you like any kind of mythology at all, because it does feel like you're reading a legend that you feel like you've known always, but just never knew the details of. That's a really great way of putting it. And totally. Y- Natasha's art style is so, I don't know, I think it's really unique and I just, I love it. And uh, I could read and reread this book. Yeah, I've, I've already, I mean, I've read the first four issues because it came out on Comixology Submit. Yes. a while ago and now they're doing full prints of the actual book through um vault, vault comics. comics yeah yeah so you can now pick this book up you know in physical form which is amazing and but i've read this book probably four times over just in the digital yeah. copies yeah same it's seriously that good like her art and this her pacing in the book is fantastic she is a top-notch creator i i'll say that a thousand times over i think there's gonna be mermaids in the second arc is that <laughs> what i do you guys hear that <laughs> I have no idea. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I would love that. That would be amazing. I'm, I'm going to so cover excited. myself in purple highlighter and read that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, next week. Yes, it's going to be very exciting. Uh, Kara, what are you excited for this week? Okay, speaking of trash, that's me. Because next week they've got... Okay, so there's a new issue of Power Rangers coming out next week. And I got to tell you, I've never been a huge Power Rangers person. I never really saw any of the Power Rangers shows growing up, like a couple episodes of Mighty Morphin here and there, but it was deemed too violent. So only if I was over like friends' houses and their parents didn't care. Um, That said, 
I saw the Power Rangers movie that came out recently and I freaking love it. It's so awful and so good. It's like, oh it's, man, it was like, like the first two thirds of it was like, here is some actually somewhat interesting character development for some teenagers that are like breakfast clubby, but for the millennial set. Also, they're training to become superheroes, and then the last third of the movie is legitimately an episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers from the 90s, like down to the corny attacks and dialogue, and they threw a Transformers reference in there, and Elizabeth Banks was frankly born to play Rita, whitewashing concerns aside. <laughs> so right. now I just feel like I need to know more about the Power Rangers, and since comics are my natural medium towards finding out more about movie franchises... Mm -hmm. I feel like I will have to start reading Power Rangers comics. And um, the other thing is, of course, to fill the void that Riverdale is leaving in my life until it comes back next season. Uh, Archie Comics has the a new issue of Archie and of Jughead coming out. So I will have mm -hmm. to once again use comics to fill the void left by other forms of media. <laughs> I mean, that's what comics are there for. I will say uh, the new Power Rangers series is pretty good. I read the first three or four issues of that, first two or three issues of that. I had a really good time. And as someone who who watched Power Rangers a lot as a kid, uh, it definitely felt like they took the that old same corny feeling and then basically blasted it into the current time so there's you know cell phone references and you know mo modern technology and stuff but it feels just as goofy and corny as the original so if you're if you're looking to dive into power rangers like the new like latest run or the boom series i believe that's it's pretty good stuff i read i read the uh pink ranger mini series that they did because i was like okay it's like four oh, issues yeah. I, I can handle that and i loved it it was really good it yeah. was like Kimberly going off like on her own the Power Rangers had kind of disbanded or were off doing their own missions and she had to save the day in some town and just like the way that they did it was really good and I loved the art so mm -hmm. I definitely see this as a franchise that I can just be a complete trash person over <laughs> yeah we're gonna get back to you in like a month and you're just gonna be like have you read I'm gonna be like everything Power is Power Rangers <laughs> yeah <laughs> We'll do introductions and everyone will get a, a legendary creature that we can introduce ourselves with. Something like that. Um, <laughs> for me this week, uh, like I said, it's another X-Men book. Generation X number one by Christina Strain on writing and Amilcar Pina on art. And as I said, I'm a filthy heathen who only reads X books now. <laughs> and th I, this book looks like it's totally up my alley. It's all about the students of the X-Men. And that is, as I wrote in my notes... My jiggity jiggity jam, mm. and th this the the art in this book looks kind of strange because like Pina's art has some weird like quote unquote camera angles, but otherwise it looks pretty solid. And there are geese in the preview. I don't know what that has to do with anything. An exploding wall full of geese. Look, geese are fuckers. Okay, they're really mean. I know, right? <laughs> and I would call the X Men if I were being attacked by geese because I don't yeah. think that mere like humans can handle a, a goose attack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who else can you call for that? But the th this book, I mean, it's all about the students of the at the X Academy, X Men Academy, or whatever you want to call it. 
I, I totally get sucked into this. It's going to be straight drama. It's going to be relationships. It's going to be, I can't believe he said that about me. And no, oh, no, now we have to go fight a bad guy, but we're going to settle this dispute later between the two of us. Mm-hmm. It's all relationships and feelings and super soap opera drama. And that is right in there. And Jubilee's on the cover. So she's going to be probably the mediator being like, I was once a kid and look at my yellow jacket as she pops the collar and walks away. Is she so, still a vampire? I, you know, I don't know. So there's some there's some funky business going on <laughs> with Jean or with not with Jean uh, with Jubilee because since Secret Wars Marvel has given themselves the chance to basically retcon anything that they want and so Jean or excuse me Jubilee being a vampire I don't know if that's still a thing or if it is it's super duper downplayed um, I don't I can't recall any other books where she's shown up and they've mentioned it though it Patsy seems Walker. to be like. Oh, was she? Oh, was she in Patsy yes, Walker? Yes, yeah. she was. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I only read X Men books, so like, I that's all. That's the only place I get my X Men information. <laughs> we are here for you. Well, thank they, you. you. I know, appreciate that. They do show up, and they have a life outside of you. Okay. <laughs> they, yeah. they should, so, yeah. No, she was hanging out with Patsy. Okay. Yeah. Well, if she's still a vampire, I will be able to update you all next Great. week on that. Well, in two weeks because I won't be here next week, but um, still. I'm really excited for this book. It's another X-Men book that I'm gonna, I'm trying the number one, very likely going to fall in love with it and continue to read forever. It sounds so, like it needs a CW show, frankly. <laughs> well, they're they're doing a show um, on FX, I think, called no, New Mutants. No, a CW show. C- yeah, yeah, okay. This is CW <laughs> knows what they're doing in terms of young adults who are way too glamorous and rich for their age bracket doing <laughs> yes. crazy things just because they can. Except, yes. excuse me, if you can't pronounce the designer, you don't get to wear it. The Thank end. you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Oh like that's some like showgirls Versace trash right there. Ooh. Oh my God. What are you? What are we okay, even talking so about? In the span of one episode, Veronica and Cheryl both mispronounced Hermes. And like you are both snobs. You know how to pronounce Hermes. I know you both oh, yeah. memorized Princess Diaries. Come on. <laughs> I see. We're back to Riverdale. I should have known. Should have known. Keep Nonsense. coming back. <laughs> Did you know that May is Lupus Awareness Month? Lupus is one of many diseases called invisible illnesses, whose symptoms can't be seen by onlookers. Have you ever seen someone who looks completely healthy park in a disabled parking spot? They probably have an invisible illness. Lupus can cause joint, heart, and lung inflammation that makes walking even short distances difficult, even though the person looks perfectly healthy. To find out more about lupus and how you can help, please visit the Lupus Foundation of America online at lupus.org. Our show this week is all about family in comic books, which is kind of an exciting topic, if you ask me, because we're talking about my favorite thing in the world, which is relationships in X-Men books, right? (laughs) So let's get ready to talk more. No, uh, we're actually talking about just family, familiar relationships in comic books, seeing that today is technically Mother's Day, the day that we're recording. You're getting this on Wednesday. um, But it's still between Mother's Day and Father's Day, so it's Exactly. 
you know. We could do this for the next three or four weeks. Who cares, right? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about family comic books this week and particularly just the relationships you see in a lot of books and like how that influences the story. And for some people like a, such as myself, how that really like pulls you into the story. So I've got a lot of X-Men examples as well as a few other things. But I don't know. Let's start with Kara. What, what are your thoughts on family and comic books? Um. Uh, so I was excited that we were going to talk about this topic because I was thinking about comics and I, when I started like really getting into monthly comics when I was a teenager, I was really gravitating towards um, the kinds of books that had small, close-knit teams where it was kind of you were making your own family out of your friends and your teammates. And it took me a while to really realize that there aren't a whole lot of like parent children relationships that are highlighted in comics to the extent that like the small team dynamic is or even the Mm -hmm. larger team dynamic is um and it's interesting to look at those examples especially in superhero comics and see kind of what they do with those relationships if anything um so i wanted to kind of lead with the one because I I briefly mentioned to my parents that this is what our show was going to be about and my mother Mm -hmm. was instantly like Superman's parents so (laughs) gotta lead gotta lead with that one yeah so Superman's parents are obviously like from Krypton and and died on Krypton sending their infant child into the stars and he was adopted by the Kents on Earth in Kansas and those are like the people who raised him so for all intents and purposes like they're his parents and there have definitely been superman stories where that like those relationships are explored in a super satisfying way like i'm specifically thinking right now about superman birthright which is hands down my favorite superman story ever and in that Instead of just the parents just kind of being there and supportive and here's some dinner for you, son, you really see the differences between his parents. Like his dad is kind of, well, you're my son, but I don't really get you, but I love you anyways. And his mom is more like, I'm going to research everything I possibly can to help you understand who you are and where you're from. And I will totally support you. And you're talking about the Kents, right? Yeah. I just just mm-hmm. for my own mental yep. clarity. Okay, cool. Yep, yep. And just like seeing how the relationship that Superman has with his parents has always been like relevant enough where people even like my parents know who they are. <laughs> like right. I think is right. a, a pretty good indicator that that's one of the few superhero superheroes where we actually like know who their parents are and what impact the parents had on their creation as a hero essentially yeah superman and batman i think are neck and neck with that in in some regards i mean batman is heavily influenced by his parents in a lot of ways but i think the superman story definitely lends more towards like actually interacting and how how that family dynamic works and it's not just a my parents died so i need to take care of the justice or something you know it's interesting that you say that because i have batman on my list but the father figure in his life is clearly alfred so oh absolutely so i have alfred on here because like as far as i'm concerned 
Alfred's the dad in that scenario, and Alfred has had a real demonstrable impact on who Bruce Wayne is and who Batman is. And totally, it's interesting to see how like their relationship has kind of changed throughout the decades from like just being a butler to being his assistant and fighting crime to trying to be the voice of reason, but also understanding that Bruce is kind of insane and nothing Alfred says is going to change that. So it's like, okay, how, like, can I just kind of mitigate the damage? Oh my God. I saw this insane fan theory or maybe they did like an alternate reality story about it where it's like Alfred is really all of the villains in Gotham. Yeah, and he's just yeah. Been... That's a Neil Gaiman wrote that story, right? Oh, okay. After I'm Batman not hallucinating. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, so like that one where Alfred's just kind of all the villains in Gotham, so that Bruce has a way to act out his emotions about his dead parents, and yeah, yeah. that that idea like blew my mind because I was like, here's this guy who cares so much about this damaged person in his care that he's going to go to these crazy lengths to help work through the crazy that is just whoa like thinking about it now i don't have the words because i'm just in awe of that concept yeah that was like what was one of the first that was the first ever or second ever batman comic i'd ever purchased because i started really buying monthly books i think right around that time or not a little bit before but i was venturing out into dc and i think i i picked up the two issues that neil gaiman wrote because i was really excited and like what happens when you know batman dies and he was covering it in both detective and uh, and the Batman book, and so he wrote two little little one shots that were one of them was that story. It's, that's such a such a solid story, like really cool one shot. Um, but like I think a lot of uh, you know when you you know talking about DC, I think one of the things with the large team dynamic that I always thought was really interesting is I uh, I read Justice Society of America for a while when Jeff yes. Johns wrote it, mm-hmm. and that whole book is really interesting because the team is humongous in the JSA. And the, in, in that, you get a lot of, you get some, some off, quote unquote, off issues where there isn't a lot of action. It's all character development. And you see all of these characters interact on a personal level. And even though they may not work together very often, like out fighting crime, when they're back at the Hall of Justice, they're, you know, they're talking and like some people are mentoring others. Some people are acting as father figures. Some people are literally other people's, you know, parents. And so you get to see a lot of those dynamics interact and go back and forth. And it's always been really, really crazy. And that book, and I knew almost nothing about anybody in that book. But one thing I did take away was that there was a lot of strong family bonds, like among the whole group. Like they definitely treated that entire group as one giant family. And then you would see like one-on-one interactions and you'd be like, these people are really closely connected. And even though, you know, they may not like this other you know other people on the team they still at least have each other's back because that's what a family does or at least in this story and i always thought that was really interesting even though i was brand new to pretty much everyone in that book i actually picked up that series and its last issue like the last issue was when i discovered it and the cover Uh looked rad so i i was like oh i'll try this one and then at the end of course i realized that it was the end but Mm -hmm. even from that one issue i was able to see what you're talking about with all those like mentoring relationships. Cause the whole concept of the JSA in the mid two thousands was that they were like, okay, here's these like older generation heroes who really have a lot of like 
knowledge and value to offer to these young heroes who have powers who don't really know how to use them who are just starting out all these reasons mm-hmm. and so like their whole dynamic was that kind of mentor slash parental shtick yeah yeah and it's 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 interesting to see like three three generations of flash you know in the room at the same time or to see like the original green lantern kind of just being the super duper grandpa of everyone (laughs) (laughs) just really cool Mm -hmm. um but i mean other other team books i won't go too deep into x-men i promise um, but the uh, I think X Men has a lot of that same thing where there's a whole school of people and they all they may have their differences inside the school but ultimately you know they're all watching out for each other it's a it's not just a family but it's they're they're watching out for their whole race and it's that's always been the, that's always the interesting thing when you get a group of you know thirty or forty X Men in a book fighting against a lot of people they all like band together they realize that they need to protect each other and that they at the end they care about each other and they they see other people getting hurt and they'll stop what they're doing like it's it's always been something that's like been a big part of that all of the x-men books um and i mean if we're getting closer to like one-on-one relationships like cable there was a cable series i've talked about it like probably a half dozen times on this show but cable who was uh after this whole mutant messiah complex thing that happened which is a whole storyline you can go read um, Cable takes this newborn, first mutant born since Wanda Maximoff said no more mutants and got rid of all the mutants in the world except for 198, and they all happen to be your favorite character. Um, he took this new first born mutant and took her into the future saying, I know that the purifiers, I know that these, these awful people are trying to kill this baby. I'm going to take her somewhere where they can't find me. And so he travels into the future. And the story turns into this person who's displaced out of time he's not in his timeline he's not in a world that he knows he's just, he can only travel further into the future um because of complications with his time jumping you know super toy and he the story becomes about him not really knowing where he is trying to figure out who he is this is not a role that he's usually in taking care of another person and he becomes this father to this this girl that he abducted um and not not to say that he took her from her parents because her parents were killed by these purifiers. It's this whole bad thing. But um, Cable, he realizes that he cares about this this little girl so much, and she truly believes that despite everything that happened, that Hope or Hope is her name, she realizes that Cable is her father, and she goes way out of her way to watch out for this old man who thinks he knows everything, but he's getting old. Uh, it's it's a beautiful story, and it's one of the best relationships in comics that I think I've ever read. The 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 way that these two to treat each other it's such a fantastic book in in the end it's really sad but i won't go into like the details of it you should totally go read this cable book but that like father-daughter dynamic was super powerful throughout that book highly recommend it i mean something that really bothers me about this topic is and this goes for this goes for pop culture in general not just comics there's no stories like that about mothers mothers never get to be a protagonist they never get to be the main character they're mm-hmm. you know they're fully defined by their momness and you know i think it's really it it makes it a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy in real life people don't have stories about mothers as people who are mothers and but also make other kinds of decisions or have other kinds of storylines. We have a difficult time seeing or processing when those stories happen in real life. 
you know it's like right one of the reasons why fiction is so important in the world is because it helps us develop a kind of roadmap for how we navigate our world and it just it's really bothersome that i can't think of a single book where a woman plays that role the cable role right yeah absolutely right i think the only, I mean, the, the the characters that I can think of that are mothers, but also, you know, something else is, I mean, would be someone like um, Sue Richards, you know, the Invisible Woman on the Fantastic Four. But even then, a lot of her story is like side played by Reed Richards doing, you know, the everything because yeah. he's Reed Richards. Um, I, I will say that the, I think that she did get a lot of focus in um, the John, Mark Millar and uh, Jonathan Hickman runs of Fantastic Four. Like, if I'm not mistaken she was a like she was the pivotal character in that series because reed richards was going off being crazy um and so she had to basically take control of everything so you got to see her not only mothering her two children but also running the future foundation also taking care of you know uh her brother and the thing and you know all these other things that the fantastic four normally have to do um Mm Um, and yeah. not to say that that is by any means like a solution or like a like that's it we got one case, but I think that that is a good example um, if if you are looking for one. Yeah, I mean we had uh, you know the Spider Woman run that just ended. What there was a lot of bal- balancing her personal life with her you know superheroing life. There's Saga. So there are sort of examples, but just as an archetype, mothers are really confined to one thing. Usually, I have I have a couple examples because I did think about that. I was like, well, it's Mother's Day. I want to talk about moms. Um, so we're gonna leave the big two for a moment, and um, I really wanted to talk about Sailor Moon. Sailor Moon had a huge impact on my just development as a person and the way I view pop culture as an adolescent. Um, I've really seen only a few episodes of the anime, but I devoured the manga. And that was a manga that was created by a woman for girls to read. And there is a really weird mother-daughter relationship in that because... um, so Sailor Moon is like in the future going to be the like new Queen Serenity ruling over Crystal Tokyo in this like utopian like beautiful future that the Sailor Scouts have created for everyone to live in. And in this future uh she's married to Tuxedo Mask and they have a child who in like the fourth mm-hmm. volume of the manga comes back in time to when Sailor Moon is basically first starting to learn how to use her powers and like learns how to become a Sailor Scout at the same time that her mom is learning how to become a Sailor Scout and it's interesting because like you get to see glimpses of this future that the daughter came from and in it Sailor Moon has grown into this woman who is basically like leading the whole world or the whole galaxy and you get the sense that she's like super aloof and like loves her daughter but doesn't really have time for her because she's always like off trying to keep things really like calm and peaceful so her daughter ends up really kind of spending a lot of time with Sailor Pluto, who's like really not supposed to be interacting with anyone because she's the guardian of time. 
and that's how she like gets the ability to like jump back in time to like hang out with her mom when her mom is like 14 so that she can like have a relationship with her mom that's out of this context of my mom is ruling everything and doesn't have time for me huh I, I know almost nothing about Sailor Moon. I didn't know there was a time traveling totally. Sailor Scout. Well, what? <laughs> Sailor Pluto's the guardian of time, so you're not supposed to time travel. Oh, okay. So what happened was I Sailor see. Moon's daughter actually stole like one of the keys that you need to use to o- open this door that will let you time travel. So it became like this whole gotcha. thing. But like my point is that there is that weird like there was this mother-daughter relationship that the daughter was not satisfied with, so she decided to go to a different point in her mother's life so she could feel, like, more connected to her. And then, admittedly, she started kind of crushing on her dad when he was younger, so that mm-hmm. was weird, but, like, manga. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, but it's manga. Yeah, it, yeah, manga does some stuff. And the other um, mother that I wanted to talk about is from the long-running comic franchise Fables, um, which Vertigo was was publishing oh, yeah. up until super recently. I think last year was their last issue of the main Fables series that Bill Willingham was doing. Mm-hmm. And the series went forever and touched a lot on a lot of the fairy tales that um, in Western society a lot of us grow up with. And some central characters to this world where Fables are alive and well and hiding out in Manhattan um were snow white and the big bad wolf who ended up having children and it was like questionable consent of how these children were conceived i'm not like i I can't remember the details but i remember reading it and being like what but they ended up like getting married and they were in love and they had six kids and each and i was expecting it to be like okay like now they're they're going to be these children just kind of wandering around in this world and we'll see them like occasionally just to be reminded that snow white has kids but they actually took the time to get really into a different storyline for each of the children and see how they were growing up and how they each had different relationships with their parents and i just like my impression was that Snow White was always just like super protective like trying to lead all the fables and do all her Snow White stuff but also super involved with her kids and keeping them protected like at one point um, their their dad Big B Wolf like essentially has a spell on him where he's like going crazy and like goes up to the farm where they live to essentially kill all the kids and Snow who's like head over heels in love with him is without hesitation like no like if he gets within like 500 feet of that farm kill him like I will kill him myself he's not getting near my children and I was like well yeah good <laughs> that is the correct attitude <laughs> right right um right so that those are so Snow White from Fables and uh Sailor Moon from Sailor Moon are the examples that I thought of of like moms who are definitely doing other stuff like especially in a governing position but still have relationships with their children even if they're not super ideal yeah I, I think that there I mean the, the the other book that comes to mind for me I think is uh, like pieces of revival like some parts of revival are, are kind of like 
mother daughter if I, or is it are they sisters i haven't read that book in a long time the the sheriff and and is it her sister or her daughter who is like they're constantly trying to deal with the the mystery of the of the world but um I, and also invincible has like some has some family stuff in there because mark's interaction with his mom is is always kind of weird even though it's always like a side story but then later in the book when adam adam eve has their daughter um like focusing on like balancing the bit between being parents and superheroes and raising a daughter like becomes the core of the story and i mean it's invincible on the whole and tia listed this one and uh, i thought of it as well um the, the the core of that book has been family like from the get-go it's all about how do i deal with my dad how does where's my mom come into play how did my mom meet this man you know like what is our family dynamic going to be now that you know my dad is gone or i'm a superhero um and like it always comes back to family in that book which i always think is interesting and that's not specifically mothers but i think mark's in a like relationship with his mom is always strained but at the same time like she's very accepting of the superhero lifestyle because you know she married a superhero um and you know had children with him and that's that's always been like a a core a core piece of that book which i i've always enjoyed and thought was was very um like it's never the focus of the story but it's always there yeah i thought vision was another book that had a pretty strong basis in the concept of family oh yeah you know oh yeah and you know, I, I mean, it's a really common theme in literature, in fiction, family, you know, whether it's your own family or your chosen family, you know, it, it just kind of is a, it's something that everyone can understand. So it, I think that if you say that you're, you're doing a story about dad, you know, your relationship with your dad, there is a lot that is implied by that. And there's a lot that the reader will understand. It's a kind of shorthand for certain, certain themes that, you know, so if if the story is about you and your dad, that there's going to be a story about identity or, you know, like power, you know, finding your own power, finding your own identity. If you've got a story about moms, it's probably going to be something more about, you know, uh, not necessarily nurturing, but like, where do I come from? And, you know, I, I, there are sibling stories and these all immediately create an entire framework for the characters to move through. Yeah. Yeah. I was also going to bring up Batman and all of his bat boys as I wrote in my notes (laughs) and, and, and his bat girls, um, bat children, really, um, all over. But but there, I think we've said enough about about DC. It's just there's. I just wanted to write Bat Boys with an I because uh, I thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, actually, the first the first DC like fam parental relationship example that I thought of was actually Bane and Scandal Savage from Secret Sex in the mid two thousands. And it is it is bane of breaking the Batman's back fame, and right. he ended up on this like team of villainous misfits that Gail Simone kind of assembled, and Scandal Savage, the daughter of Vandal Savage, who's always out to conquer everything, uh, was also on this team. And somewhere like halfway through the run, Bane just kind of like decided that he needed to watch out for scandal in this really paternal way and they had a lot of back and forth on that because she was like 
wanted a father figure but was also like i am a grown-ass woman and you need to back off like i can eat my own vegetables kind of thing right um but that dynamic was just so well done that i just absolutely loved it and it helped that they were both like super murderous and <laughs> just like didn't really care <laughs> for the regular society norms murder family yay uh which is is another book that i think uses family relationships as a framework to to explore other things and at the end of which is there's this huge bombshell that gets dropped and i hope that it gets picked back up in in sandwiches volume two that i think is coming out at the end of the year <laughs> no you know where it's not it's not called that is it it, it is in our hearts is it, it is in our hearts <laughs> oh okay. sandwiches <laughs> i love it because it's going to take place in the desert yeah <laughs> I, I knew that I just, so um, oh, i'm so pleased thank you for thank you for that <laughs> you know where all of a sudden everyone's like you know i don't want to god i don't want to give a spoiler but like no don't spoil it because i haven't read it yet and i need yeah, to read it for okay. this week's book of the month there's a big there's a big bombshell that's dropped at the end that like is that shifts the whole paradigm and you're like wait was everyone just crazy this whole like who's anyway um you know so you question everything yeah but it by using like dad feels you know it lays out a whole lot about the character and what his uh you know what his prerogative is without having to actually go through a lot of exposition to make us aware of all of that that i think i think that witches is a book that does that really well and yeah, I, you I, know, it was a great. Got to read it. It was also a great way to shoehorn Angela into the Marvel universe. Oh, by introducing her as Thor and Loki's sister. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At first, I, I thought so, that was super gimmicky, and then I was like, No, no, this works. Same. This is good. It did. Yeah. yeah. So, and, what's her relationship like with 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 her parents then in the book? If if like you know she's just suddenly introduced, is she like an estranged daughter to them or? So what happened was in the war between Asgard and the tenth realm, they kidnapped her as a baby, and then they were supposed to kill her. But one of the angels decided to keep her and raise her, and so she doesn't have a great relationship with them at first but they they try to like reconcile with her and like you know it's great because she doesn't like she's super mouthy and and, and like she kidnaps so like i think it's frigga i can't remember which of the all mother they end up using as the main one in this book but like she has a baby and then angela has to kidnap the baby and throw it in a furnace I've, it's been a while you know, since I read original classic Sin. Norse mythology. You know? <laughs> it was pretty crazy. <laughs> it was fun though when I cosplayed Angela. Our friends had just had a baby, and so they let us borrow it as a prop for a photo shoot. <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> but um, you know, so she and she like gets really mouthy, and there's like a great scene where she gets like a verbal you know take down from mom and mm -hmm. and then there's like a scene where odin has to you know like be explicitly accepting of all his children like i don't know it just they did they used the whole you know family drama as a way to shoehorn her in there i think it was fairly elegantly done even though it is what it is right right i don't know the only other book i have on my list i mean the thor thor odin relationship is always 
it's always up in the air. Like, and I mostly when I think of Thor, I think of his relationship with Loki, where he hates his brother but also has no choice but to love him because yeah. he is his brother. Like, that's such a such 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 an interesting like dynamic to throw into a story and i think it's you know it's commonly used you've got like a you know one of the one sibling is the bad sibling in some way and you have like you have no choice you're related to them so like you have to in some way accept them or you have to accept at least yes they are my family regardless of what i want to do or say and that thor loki relationship is always it's played with really well in some books and not so well in others but i think on the whole like that always adds like a really fun dynamic to the story whenever you're reading a thor book and loki shows up you're like you know bad shit's about to happen and you know thor is going to just blind like turn a blind eye to all of it because it's his brother um, and he doesn't want to cause the end of the world, you know, by, <laughs> by damning his brother to hell or anything like that. So it's it's always fun. I, I like the way that Marvel has has used that a lot in the, you know, forever years. Ragnarok and roll, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, the last <laughs> book I, I definitely wanted to make sure I mentioned was Chu. Um, if you haven't read Chu, it's like one of the best books that Image has published in a very long time. It just it just recently ended. The story is about Tony Chu, who has the ability to eat something and uh, he can see its whole past. But the story really, like after the first volume, really starts to focus heavily on Tony Chu's family. Um, you you get or not not heavily, I guess, but his family becomes a, a bigger part of the story. He's got a sister. He's got a brother. I know that at one point in the story, you meet, like, his whole extended family, and they're all somehow, like, they're all named after food things. And so, like, he's, his name is Tony, but his sister's name is also Tony, but with an I. And he's got a brother, Chow. And their relationship is is, like, very strained like tony doesn't like his sister because she's smarter than him um he doesn't like his brother because his brother illegally cooks chicken my brother um, also, also doesn't f- like me because i'm smarter than him what a coincidence <laughs> i thought you were gonna say your brother also illegally cooks chicken oh. that would have been <laughs> i mean i'm i think he legally is, is, cooks chicken oh okay well that's good um but chu has a lot of a lot of fun family dynamics and especially when you meet tony's daughter spoiler for the first couple volumes um you meet his daughter. I should say spoiler before I say it, but at this point, <laughs> the book is too old. I'm sorry. Um, you do meet Tony's daughter, and uh, then that relationship changes totally. Like again, it's father daughter, um, and but it's it's less about their relationships and much as it's about Tony realizing I'm a really shitty dad. And that's, like, just a thing he has to accept. But Um, see, like, you can have a story where someone's like, I'm a really shitty dad. And we're like, you know what? I am with you. Let's go on this journey. But if you had a story where someone's like, I'm a really shitty mom, everyone would hate her. Hmm. Yeah. You're probably, yeah, you're you're definitely right. Definitely right. I mean, it's kind of, it's like when, you know, dads get lauded for, like, taking their children to the grocery store and doing the shopping or doing the dishes. And, like, when mothers do the same thing it's just like oh you're just doing your job right 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 it's 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 that it's that baked in uh sexism that is like just everywhere in common media yeah and Um, i think that part of the reason it's so pervasive is because we don't have you know there are a million examples of the like shitty dad redemption story or like Mm -hmm. you know we give the shitty dad a cookie because he like does one thing in a bumbling fashion we don't we have no examples of moms doing that so we like don't it's kind of you know not that media makes these narratives but it it reinforces them yeah it could reflect but it can also influence and i think that there's you know there's just nothing 
maybe the closest is in Saga. Um, yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, Saga is actually a great. Yeah, yeah, like it's the one example. Like Alana's a shitty mom, and totally. <laughs> but you know, I still love her. But yeah, that's like the one example probably yeah. I can think of of like a shitty mom who you still like. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, so listeners, if you if you know of any other stories of shitty moms. Um, let us know, <laughs> shitty moms with hearts of gold who are just trying yeah. their best. Yes, that's that's the yes. Shitty moms, hearts of gold. Let us know. Send us an email. Send us a tweet. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> I've never I've, that, that trope of the shitty mom with a heart of gold needs to <laughs> it's become not a pervasive. Thing. It needs to be a thing. It needs to yes. be a thing. I almost like. I mean, I know this isn't. She's not even a mom. But I'm just thinking of the like adopted mom in the same way that you were talking about Cable earlier, like I guess in the last Black Widow um, arc where she like has to rescue all the little girls from the Red Room and you know, now like now Natasha has like, you know, never talk to me or my 27 daughters ever again kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, I I would almost say like all new X Men or not X Men all new Wolverine kind of has like, Oh yeah, that's right. It's like a bad sister, bad mom, like kind of, vibe where laura is raising her younger sister or like her clone yes because <laughs> like, that's that's how wolverine like all the wolverine mantle has children <laughs> um yeah she's raising her clone she's kind of the mom kind of the older sister but it's she she fills that role of i'm so i'm so much older than you i have to be the parent but she's like i have to also go kill all these guys because they're bad people yeah um <laughs> to which you know her sister is like yeah kill him she's like don't don't think like that why are you thinking like that hey, play with your pet wolverine because comic books <laughs> oh my god uh, well I'm I, I'm very much looking forward to finding finding more of these stories. I mean, and I think to Tia's point earlier, this is a this is a common thing that gets thrown into a lot of literature, no matter what you're reading. Um, and it it is very big in comic books. I think you'll find almost majority of superhero stories or a lot of superhero stories somehow have you know a connection to family um, because it's obviously a big part of most people's lives. I think. Um, and I mean, I didn't even bring up Hawkeye. Didn't even talk about Hawkeye because. Because Clint and his brother, who are brawlers oh, and hate each yeah. other, but also buds, like that. The moment in Hawkeye, spoilers for the end of David Aha <laughs> and job, Matt Mike. Fraction's uh, uh, their uh, Hawkeye run. The, the moment where Clint is deaf and he's talking to his brother and he refuses to sign and he refuses to like acknowledge things and he keeps just saying, "What are you saying?" Uh, like th- that was such a like I felt for that part of the comic like. My my brother and I would do the same thing if if we were in that situation. Like one of us would be super stubborn, and I totally just fell into that bit of the comic. Like I'm rereading that series right now, and I'm just super excited for that last part because the interactions between Clint and his brother are just they're awful, but in a really good way. Like you see how these brothers who don't like each other get along and have to interact with each other and take care of each other, and it's it's so well written. Like Matt Fraction nailed nailed the delivery on that more family things <laughs> <laughs> i just thought of the one example of a truly shitty mom who i still think everyone loves mm-hmm. and it's not even in comics it's a tv show absolutely fabulous <laughs> right <laughs> uh, i've never <laughs> seen know, that oh it's really good but um god that would someone should do someone should do a comic of ab fab that would be funny <laughs> <laughs> we'll get that kick started this week
Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Tia Vasiliu and Kara Shamborski. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. Now, if you enjoy this show, you should tell someone about it. You should write us online, write an email, or a tweet to us. Each person you tell about our show and each rating you give lends a little more exposure and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. You can email us at ircb at destroythesive.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode on our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. Now, the entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast for updates and ridiculous retweets. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening. <laughs>